Dior Talks. The Femme Case uh, for me is about changing the way we present women in fashion. More like a subject, not uh, as an object. The women are represented in many different ways, uh, not only one way. That is very important for me. It's also what I try to make with my work in Dior. There are many elements in the female case. I'm very excited to introduce a special guest to Dior Talks, the award-winning film director Alina Marazzi. Widely considered to be one of the most original and innovative directors working today, Marazzi's films include All About You and We Want Roses Too. She's known for incorporating found and archival footage, and sometimes even private and family home videos, to interrogate memory, subjectivity and the language of cinema. Her work is a profound exploration of the gamut of the female experience. And as we find out in this episode, Marazzi has a unique understanding of the female gaze. I'm Charlotte Jansen, a journalist and the author of Girl on Girl, a book exploring photography in the age of the female gaze. You're listening to Dior Talks, conversations on the female gaze. Alina, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, as we're recording this, uh, your latest film has just been released for Dior's Spring-Summer 2021 collection, for which you were given a carte blanche to the archives of Lucia Marcucci, who, if anyone who's listening isn't aware, is an Italian artist who was born in 1933. She's still active. Um, she uses collage to make these incredible poems, and she sometimes uses the language of advertising imagery, Um, and introduce that into these beautiful posters. And your film addresses her life and her work in this very special way, telling her story simultaneously in the past and the present. I was wondering if you could tell me about your approach and your process in making this new film. Uh, yes, it all started with a phone call uh, at the end of August. I received a call from Maria Grazia Curie the art director of Dior, a woman that I respect and appreciate, but uh, somebody that I did not know personally. And she mm -hmm. um, approached me and she introduced me to the idea of doing something uh, on Lucia Marcucci. Uh, so the idea of the film comes from Maria Grazia Curie, who has discovered Lucia Marcucci's work recently, and she has decided to pay a tribute to this not-so-well-known Italian artist during the fashion show of the latest collection of Dior. And so she had the idea, Curie had the idea of um, uh, actually creating a work of Marcucci who Marcucci never had the possibility to actually produce because uh, the work, so-called Cattedrale della Poesia, the Cathedral of Poetry, consists of, of a series of a huge stained glass windows, like, uh, uh, you know, in sort of Gothic style, but using mm. the imagery that uh, comes from Mar Marcucci's legacy. So in order also to introduce uh, the audience uh, to the vision of Lucia Marcucci, Curie had the idea of also producing a, a short film on, on the artist. And so she contacted me. Uh, she knew my work. I must say that I didn't know Marcucci's work, but I immediately connected to her because I'm also very familiar with the technique of collage in, in my film mm -hmm. work. I, I do yeah. use this 
technique and I'm fascinated by the use of working, by the fact of working with found uh, material, found footage and, you know, reassembling um, different materials mm. and in order to create a new meaning and a new non-linear structure. So when I saw Marcucci's work, I could, I felt I could immediately connect to, you know, what she had done in her life. And so yeah. um, we had very little time because <laughs> I had to produce the film uh, just, you know, before the show was going to happen. And so I had, basically I had to do the film in less than three weeks. <laughs> and <Wow>. uh, <laughs> yes, which was a bit crazy, but exciting at the same time. And in a way, everything came together. I was able to shoot at the art gallery in Florence, where most of Marcucci's work is preserved uh, with the collaboration of his gallerist, Simone Frittelli. Uh, and so we had access to the archive of the art gallery. Uh, Lucia Marcucci is alive. Unfortunately, she's not feeling good, so she was not able to yeah. be part of the film in person, but her work is, of course, the protagonist of the film. So while mm -hmm. in Florence during the first contacts and while checking out the, the work of Marcucci's work in the art gallery, I also went to meet Lucia at her home. And so I'm so glad that we, you know, could we could connect even if briefly, even though she's not actually able to talk right now, but she understands everything. And so I did my best to sort of um, present her work in this short film. Well, you've done an incredible job. I mean, it tells the story in such an engaging way. And like you said, the connection between the two of you, I mean, it's quite amazing. You incorporate, of course, archival and found footage in your work and that's one of the many things you've been a real pioneer of, um, using different kinds of visual material and exploring the ways we can mix up temporality and subjectivity to tell these narratives. And, and Marcucci is doing the same thing. And it's amazing that Maria Grazia mm -hmm. was the one to introduce her work to you. And I think that shows you know, how deep her own knowledge is, especially of this 60s and 70s um, period in Italy and, and feminist women artists in particular, um, and making connections between between those artists and, and artists such, of, such as yourself. So the film begins with the title To Cut is to Think, which is the title of the film. Um, where did that phrase come from? I was wondering, because I guess it's it's kind of a point of convergence between um, you and Marcucci mm -hmm. and that you both use this this method of cutting. Yeah, the title of the film is To Cut is to Think, Tagliare e Pensare, which is a, a quote from uh, an Italian art uh, historian, art curator, Germano Celant, who probably has been the most uh, influential art critic of this and last century. He recently passed away and uh, it fascinates me how this sentence, the meaning or even the image that this sentence evokes, it refers both to the practice of collage, film editing and also garment creation. And so also in, in terms of the cutting, the practice of cutting, because um, 
It, it's something that I always think a lot uh, in my work when you cut and because my films come to life more in the editing room than, well, it depends on the project, but the editing mm. process is very, very important. And uh, in the editing, what you do mainly, you start by cutting up pieces of film of images and then you paste them together again. And so the first act of creating significance and meaning in a way is to create that cut, which is not not only meant to be in a negative way because often cutting you know evokes like a, a, a yeah a, a destructive um, action but in fact it creates a meaning because by cutting uh, something up you actually enable the uh, possibility of creating so many different associations in terms of imagery uh, words being put together sounds and so on so yeah. the first act a provocative act is cutting and that forces you in a way to start thinking about all the possibilities that you have after the the, the cut. <laughs> and I think it's probably the same for fashion designers. It's fascinating how you have a big piece of fabric, which is just like a huge plain canvas. And then the moment you cut, you mm -hmm. immediately create yeah, absolutely. a shape, you create a history, you create a, a model, you create, you evoke a figure. And so that's uh, the connection, I think, there. Yeah, between the three of you. And the act itself, I mean, it's no surprise that so many women artists have become um, so incredible at collage, you know, and chosen that technique and that method because as an act, as a gesture of this kind of tearing up and chopping up of systems and images, for me, it's quite a political gesture as well to, to kind of forge and fashion and assemble, as you say, something new. And the connection with fashion, of course, is very, very strong and very relevant. And the parallel between your own practice as a filmmaker and, and Maria Grazia as a fashion designer. But I believe this is the first time you've collaborated with a designer or a fashion house. And I was wondering how that was for you and, and what the importance of clothes and fashion have in your yeah. own films. Well, to tell you the truth, five years ago, I made a documentary, a portrait of the late uh, iconic uh, Italian Vogue journalist Anna Piaggi. She also was somebody uh, who, who was using collage technique in her articles for Italian Vogue. And she has been a very, very important figure, not only in Italy, but in the international fashion world in terms of mm. communication for fashion. And so I was attracted by this woman, this figure, uh, who had passed away recently. Uh, she left an enormous uh, amount of uh, clothes and hats. She was famous for her hats, shoes, accessories. She was a great collector also and a great... Uh, um, and she knew the history of fashion and costume very well. So I discovered this treasure in a, in a warehouse in Milano. And so I thought it would be very interesting to, to retrace uh, the, the, the path of this woman. And so that was the first time that I actually had a connection with the fashion world because Anna Piaggi was very good friends with some very important designers such as uh, Stephen Jones, Manolo Blani, Rosita Missoni, Castel Bajac. And so I had the first connection there through this woman who also was 
mm-hmm. using the collage technique in her mm-hmm. so-called double spreads mm, for Vogue Italia. So the film was then presented at a fashion festival in Milan. And so I sort of got to know a little bit of oh. that entourage. Uh, but um, yes, this time was completely different because I was actually, let's say, commissioned a film and I was given total carte blanche. So I, I you know, it wasn't like an advertisement or a commercial film where I had to combine describing Lucia Marcucci's work and at the same time presenting uh, Dior's collection. No, I was, you know, I was asked to actually present the work of the artist and so... I was really put in the best uh, conditions that I could, apart from the time, which was very little. Uh, But I Mm -hmm. could work uh, freely and um, it was pretty fantastic. Well, everyone can see it now that it's out. Um, And one thing I really noticed, of course, um, were the eyes, the eyes of the protagonist in the film. I mean, she's dressed in these Mm -hmm. white overalls. She has this amazing Mm -hmm. 80s hairstyle and then these hypnotic eyes which kind of follow you and, and really stay with you. What was the role of the gaze for you in this film? <laughs> yes, I uh, <laughs> needed to have uh, um, a figure. I needed to have a face, a body, you know, uh, making a connection with the paintings, the collages, the posters and the films that mm. Lucia, Lucia Marcucci did. And so I was thinking, but, you know, who should this person be? Who should this uh, alter ego be uh, of, the, of the poet? And then I started thinking about how the artist is, always has a fresh, new, curious approach and gaze. And, mm-hmm. you know, the artist looks at the world around her or him with that fresh uh, and provocative approach. And so that sort of started to suggest in my mind that I should perhaps create a character which could represent that young uh, poet uh, that is uh, looking at the world around her, interrogating it, interrogating the imagery, the representation of women that is so strong in Marcucci's work because she draws material from advertising and communication. And so I thought this, you know, could have been, could be a good idea to have like a, a younger, a young person, somebody who is not supposed to be uh, Marcucci's as a young woman, but somebody who could mm. convey the same kind of curiosity and uh, irony. Then I, I knew about this uh, young actress because I'd seen her in a couple of Italian films and in theatre. She works a lot in theatre and uh, she just came, you know, her face just came back to me in my mind and I thought, okay, you know, it would be great if we could be her. Also, she has a very ambiguous look in terms of the gender. So she's really, she could be one or the other in a way. (laughs) And so I thought, okay, she's like a, in a way, she's like a neutral canvas. That's why she's wearing white uh, overall and is something that is supposed to remind us of like a day-to-day garment of the artist working in a studio. So nothing Mm. fancy or fashion, but really like a a, a white canvas. 
And then, yes, the actress has this incredible look. She has these such strong, clear blue eyes, which seem to be fixed at the same time. There's a lot of emotions uh, passing by. And, uh, and so certainly, I mean, I was attracted to her because of the way she looks. Uh, she looks mm. at things. And so, yeah, her role in the film is to actually um, discover and um, enter Makuchi's work and then become part of the work itself. So the fact that mm -hmm. she's first looking at the video projections of uh, Marcucci's uh, montage films and then she enters the actual texture of the projection, then she can become the canvas and... Uh, onto which we projected with video mapping some of the paintings by Marcucci. So the idea was to merge the surfaces through, through the actress. Yeah, I can see that now in the way she steps up to the mic and starts to recite these poems and aphorisms that are drawn from Marcucci's work. Um, but those yeah. eyes, they never leave you. It's, it's very effective. So I'm very excited mm. to ask you this next question, speaking of the eyes and of the gaze, I know that you were actually a student of Laura Mulvey, who, as we've discussed previously on this um, podcast, I mean, she's the, the godmother, in a sense, of the of the female gaze. She's the feminist film critic and theorist who, mm -hmm. in her 1975 essay, Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema, prompted the term itself the female gaze in discussing the male gaze and what that means in cinema in particular and um Mulvey is now almost 80 I believe and she's still teaching at Birkbeck um in London and I'd love to hear what it was like to be taught by her and what you understood about her ideas then and um you know how they've influenced you in your own work in your own films I was at film school in London in the early 80s and I was uh, young and very naive and perhaps a little stupid too, still is perhaps a little mm -hmm. bit, <laughs> uh, but I <laughs> happened to be in this uh, unusual film school where Laura Mavi was teaching and at the time I had no idea really, I wasn't aware who she was really to, you know, to the full extent mm. and uh, other important uh, experimental filmmakers such as Ken McMullen, Chris Wellsby and uh, so the approach of the film school was very much, you know, um, exposing the students to uh, documentary and experimental um, films. So I, this is really mm. where, you know, it all started for me in a way to be studying and working with film uh, following that approach. And after yeah. those five years in London, I went back to Milano, my hometown, and started working, uh, making documentaries, working as assistant director and so on, you know, having different experiences, work experiences. And then in 2002, I, my, very, my first personal film came out, Un'ora sola ti vorrei, 
for one more hour yeah. with you, which is a film that I'd worked on for many years, but it was released in Locarno Film Festival in 2002. And the film is a, is a one-hour film, is a montage of my family home movies, and through the repasting of the family narrative, if you like, I... Uh, addressed the story and reconstructed the figure of my mother who uh, died when I was seven years old. So really, I mm -hmm. um, I worked on the materials, uh, which were the home movies shot by my grandfather, but also my mother's letters and diaries, journals, uh, photographs, and so on. And so it took me quite a few years, obviously, <laughs> to uh, create this... Uh, texture, let's call it, this film texture. <laughs> and the film finally yeah. was also presented uh, publicly and after a few years it was shown in London and right. Laura Malby came to the show. Uh, we were not in contact after film school, it was like pre-internet time, so of course, you know, we'd lost touch, but she came to see the film and uh, we reconnected there. Uh, at that film screening, it must have been 2004 or 2005, and it was a real epiphany for her when she saw the film. And so also for me, it made me realize how much perhaps in an unaware way I was uh, made, uh, you know, attentive towards certain issues and ways of m <laughs> creating film. And so ever since then, we have been in touch and uh, she has been writing about uh, my film. She has been lecturing about this film. I know it's, it's a film that is very important to her. And of course, mm -hmm. that uh, it's, it's very touching and important for me too. And a few times mm -hmm. I went to Birkbeck, uh, invited by Laura, and we also in other occasions were... Uh, yeah, we lecture together, or she lecture, and I could um, give my contribution. So, yes, it's it's uh, it's an important film for for her because really, what the film, what my film does, of course, is not the only film that does that, but it does it in a in mm -hmm. a very overt way. Um, the process that I went through is basically the one that I took film material, f intimate film material, shot by the patriarch of the family, my grandfather, so a male gaze uh, on the family yeah. and his women, his wife, his daughter, who is my mother, myself. And through the, and through the narration and montage, I somehow made it mine or, let's say, subverted his uh, vertical uh, representation of what, you know, his family should have been in a way. And so it really took two generations and, uh, and the reappropriation through the editing and montage and creating a, an alternative narrative of my mother's story. But, you know, it's not... The film doesn't only speak, of course, only about my mother. It speaks of women of that generation, of maybe of all generations. And so all these things yeah, yeah. Uh, resonates into Laura Malvi's, um, uh, yes, words and uh, thinking. And so that's, I think that's, this is why 
it has become an important film for her because it's uh, basically, yeah, it's the practice. It's the, it's it's her thought uh, put into practice in a way. Manifested, yeah. Uh, in That's a way, incredible. yes. And the relationship. Uh, and that came through practice, you know. It's yeah, it's uh, it came through practice for me. It wasn't, of course. Uh, a project that I had in mind, it was just, um, you know, through the work on the film, uh, I, at the end of the process, of the creative process, I realized that there was so much into that, in that direction that I wasn't even aware of. So it has been an important um, phase, passage for me as well in my life, to, from the practice to the theory. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Anyone who's interested in the female gaze should absolutely see that film. I, I think it's an incredibly important work. Um, just to understand the different possibilities of female subjectivity and what the female gaze really means. Um, and like you say, you know, everything from the way you produced it to the subject itself. Yeah, I mean, it's such an important film, especially for anyone who's interested in the female gaze and understanding the different possibilities of female subjectivity as told through film and what the gaze really means. Um, and like you say, everything from the way you produced it to the way you filmed it to the subject itself, that really kind of um, is thought through. Do you consider yourself a feminist? I mean, you made that film, which was a very important work and also a very personal work, but you've since made a number of successful and award-winning films that explore other subjects around the female experience, you know, from memory to motherhood and the maternal. Um, is that something that's at the forefront of your thinking always? Yes, it is, absolutely. Well, after making that film on my mother, on the mother, <laughs> so it's not just my mother, yes. I realised how important as a, as a woman, as a filmmaker or author, artist, I don't know what, as somebody who has a possibility of actually, you know, saying something and expressing her thoughts and feelings in, in a medium, which in, which in my case is, is film, how important uh, it is to use this possibility in order to tell women's stories and also to interrogate yourself as an artist or filmmaker mm -hmm. on how you actually tell a story that you care about, whether it's a story about a woman or, or not a woman. It, it doesn't matter in a way, but... Uh, I'm always very interested in, in how you actually, you know, what language do you invent, what language do you uh, apply and, you know, why you choose certain features uh, or images in the film. So that's a, always a very important part of the work for me. So whenever I have a, an idea for a film, the first question is always, yes, but in which way, which way can I, you know, which is the best form for this story, for this theme? And so the yeah. reflection on how it goes hand in hand with, you know, the, the choice of the subject matter, let's say. So after making the film on my mother, uh, I was really eager to somehow carry on telling the story of other women's other women yeah. and my mother's story and life ended in 72 
And uh, all the time while I was, you know, reading, working at the film and reading her journals, I was thinking, but, you know, she was living in Milan in the early 70s and so much was happening at the time. I mean, mm -hmm. women were really, you know, starting to raise their voices. There were lots of uh, women groups, uh, you know, self-consciousness and so on. And, you know, I was all the time thinking, but why didn't she, you know, happen to be part of this women's group? You know, that may have changed her trajectory, but that didn't happen. And so I started, uh, I had this... Um, yeah, I really wanted to somehow create a follow-up, so to say. And so I started to become interested in the history, uh, in the stories of those women who, at that time, between the late 60s and the 70s, uh, really started to change their personal personal lives um, and, uh, and the lives of other women too and creating a social and political movement. And so I made uh, my second film uh, called Vogliamo anche le rose, We Want Roses Too. Actually, there is another film in between these two films. I made a documentary about nuns, about a community of cloister nuns. So once again, a community of women, but that's another okay. story. So the film about the women in the 70s, it really... Ideally, for me, a follow-up from Un'ora Sola Ti Vorrei, because it's like in, in We Want Roses 2 is three women speaking through the, through the writing uh, in their journals. So once again, I went to search for women's writing in, a, in an archive in Italy. And then I uh, created this uh, uh, collage, patchwork, montage of uh, film footage coming from different film archives in Italy. So I addressed not only the institutional archives, but I, I really did a thorough search door to door, <laughs> asking people if they had uh, Super 8 reels, videotape reels, and I went to look for uh, um, independent and experimental work by film, women filmmakers and I did mm -hmm. find quite a lot of material which at the time was still you know lying laying hidden somewhere you know in someone's drawer yes. or at the back of uh, the last uh, scaffold uh, the last shelves a of story, an archive yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, I mean, that's exactly how we understand the world and the political questions um, that we confront. It's through the personal experience. And I think what's amazing about your films is that idea of self-documentation and memory making and the way it becomes so vital and so important to our survival, you know, not only as individuals, but politically and as a way to understand the times we're living in and understand different kinds of situations that might otherwise be too abstract to grasp. We get to them through emotion, through feeling. And that comes, in a way, I, I feel that comes from some kind of feminine or female approach to life without wanting to ge generalise too much. And the way that we make her story, and I find that so fascinating in your work, but the next film you made, I think, was All About You, which stars Charlotte Rampling, and you continue some of those ideas into that film as well, right? Yes, one thing to, I mean, to go, All About You is, is my first uh, fiction film, even though it's, uh, 
once again, a non-conventional fiction because uh, the film is mixed, the fiction plot is mixed with documentary footage, uh, um, family home movies, uh, still photography animation. So in the fiction, I still wanted to create different levels of narration. And um, But to go back also to the previous films and perhaps also to the film I, ba I made for Dior on Marcucci's work, and the question of the of the gaze. This in my films, I realize there's always <laughs> close-ups of women looking into the camera, and uh, mm. very strongly. So also in All About You, uh, starring Charlotte Rampling, there's many shots of Rampling looking into camera with the voiceover, reading extracts from uh, the characters' uh, journals. So there's always this. Uh, urgency somehow to address the audience or the filmmaker herself, in fact, by uh, mm. looking through the through the lens into the camera and making a direct connection with who's looking. And this is something mm -hmm. that really comes from the work that I did on home movies because in home movies one yeah. of the feature is you know the look into the camera waving goodbye and so on and playing you know having this direct mm -hmm. this intimate relationship between the subject and the person who's filming and that i realize yeah. is something that uh, comes back every time in my films whether it's through the actual image of, of a woman looking to a camera or the use of the first person narration in the writing of the journals or even in all about you which uh, is is there's a main fictional plot in that fictional uh, narrative i wrote uh, a, a diary for the character so the character of rambling is speaking through a diary once again a first person narration intimate narration so i realized this is something that is is always present in my films and also in the short film on Marcucci's work uh, is present. I mean, this fact that, you know, you are looking as a filmmaker and ultimately as an audience, you're looking at images, you're looking at uh, faces, at bodies, whether, you know, they're captured in documentary style or whether it's through mise-en-scene. But I'm also very much fascinated by uh, the other way around process. So when you're in the editing room or when you're sitting as an audience, you are also being looked at by images. Mm -hmm. So you are interrogated as a filmmaker or as an audience. And we go back to the active role of the spectator that also Laura Malvi ref uh, refers to, that your images also look at you. You do not, not all, only look at images, but they look at you. And so they create mm. this uh, interesting connection, or at least this is a, an important uh, part of the process, uh, especially during the editing. And so perhaps this is why I always need to have somebody looking at me <laughs> through <Yeah>. the camera. <laughs> So Alina, thank you so much for joining me today and speaking about your work and especially congratulations on your new film for Dior, which is out this week and I'm sure everyone is going to enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you for the interesting questions and, uh, you know, I, I'm happy to be part of this uh, gang of yeah. conversations. <laughs> <laughs>